Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with the devastation in Hawaii. The death toll from the Maui firestorm is now up to at least 55. As Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports, the crews are calling it search, rescue, and recovery. As crews go through the burn zone, they still hope to find survivors, but it's definitely a grim task. Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke says the state is trying to get food to the west side of the island, which is still without power. And then the state has to look into the future. The damage to the infrastructure, it's not just um, buildings. I mean, these were small businesses that invested in Maui. These were local residents. President Biden is promising a relief package, but this is going to be a massive rebuild. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, Ed. We're also tracking the political turmoil in Ecuador. Six Colombians under arrest in the assassination of presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio. Officials say the suspects are part of a drug trafficking organization. Outgoing President Guillermo Lasso says the election will go on as scheduled a week from Sunday. This moment before the gravity of the facts that shocks Ecuador, I will proceed to sign two decrees. The first one declaring the three days of national mourning, the memory of patriot Fernando Villavicencio Valencia. Speaking through an interpreter, Ecuador's president also declared a 60-day state of emergency. Amy, tensions between the U.S. and China may be on the rise again this morning. That is following comments from Joe Biden. The president says China's economic problems are a, quote, ticking time bomb, and he referred to Communist Party leaders as bad folks. Bloomberg's Stephen Engel is in Hong Kong. He says the president's comments will have an impact. He's speaking to potential donors in Park City, Utah. It's not going to help the narrative that the White House is trying to do, and that is we want to repair relations with China at a time just 24 hours after he signed his executive order limiting investment by American companies. You know, I understand this is a comment to donors in a politically charged environment, but the world is small now. Comments like this go far. China will latch onto this and use it to their advantage. And Bloomberg's Stephen Engel notes it's not the first time Biden's made off-the-cuff remarks on China. Back in June, he likened Chinese President Xi Jinping to a dictator. Turmoil in China's property market also making news today. Once the country's largest developer, Country Garden, has now become a penny stock. Growing debt concerns have seen Country Garden lose 93 percent of its value, down from a market peak of $50 billion in 2018. Bloomberg's Jill Dices says its fall from grace could have major shockwaves. We've heard from a few analysts that have warned this could be a bigger problem than Evergrande was. Um, we got a sense of how bad the, uh, the depth of the funding challenge challenges are at this company yesterday when they uh, said that they expected to post a net loss of as much as 55 billion yuan for the first half of the year. That's like 7.6 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, This is a company that may need to restructure. So, yes, the problems here are quite sizable. 
Bloomberg's Jill Deesis says the property crisis is stoking fears of financial contagion in Beijing. Now back here in the U.S., Amy, the latest inflation data are in focus. We'll get another read this morning with producer prices for July. The report comes after core consumer prices posted their smallest consecutive increases in two years. Even so, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly tells Yahoo Finance the central bank is still not done fighting inflation. It is not a uh, data point that says victory is ours. There's still more work to do, and the Fed is fully committed to resolutely bringing inflation back down to its 2% target. San Francisco Fed Chief Daly also says she's not ready to project the central bank's next move. The economy in focus overseas, a surprise reading on growth out of the U.K. this morning. We get details with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts in London. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Amy and Nathan. The UK's weather was exceptionally hot in June, and data out today shows that the economy was also much warmer than forecasts. Monthly GDP jumped 0.5%, more than double the 0.2% expected by economists. That helped quarterly GDP to its biggest increase since the start of last year, though that is a pretty low bar to clear. Digging into the data and manufacturing, construction and consumer spending all outperformed. The punchy readings will mean the Bank of England will be weighing another rate rise in September. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ewan, thanks. Staying in Europe, shares of UBS are higher by more than 4.5% this morning. The bank has ended a $10 billion agreement with the Swiss government to cover losses tied to its takeover of Credit Suisse. And we get more from Bloomberg Finance Editor Tom Metcalf. The messaging from the bank is very much, this is how confident we are in the assets we've acquired. This is the sign of strength. Purely pragmatically, I'm looking at this going, why on earth would you give up something you've already got? Uh, as far as I can tell from the release, there's nothing they're getting back in return. So, you know, perhaps it is all about the messaging, uh, but you could also say, oh, does this sort of get them more kind of in a stronger position with the Swiss government? It would obviously be pretty happy that they can then tout this to the uh, sort of voting population. Bloomberg's Tom Metcalf says terminating the agreement will also save UBS millions in fees. The bank reports earnings later this month. In the U.S., we have legal developments focused on Purdue Pharma. The Supreme Court has blocked a $6 billion settlement with the OxyContin maker. The deal would shield members of the Sackler family who own Purdue from civil lawsuits over opioids. The high court will hear arguments before the end of the year over whether they can proceed. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. You're listening to Bloomberg. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. And good morning, Amy. Lawyers for former President Donald Trump face off against prosecutors today over whether he should be prevented from talking about evidence in the January 6th case. The hearing allows Judge Tanya Chutkin to hear from both sides about whether she should impose restrictions on the former president, whether he should be barred from talking about the grand jury testimony. Earlier this week at an event in New Hampshire, Trump was insistent he won't be silenced. I will talk about it. I will. They're not taking away my First Amendment right. A prosecutor say they worry Trump could intimidate witnesses. It's become a defining public health challenge of our time. U.S. suicides have risen to a record high. More in this report from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. A Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report says there were 49,449 suicides last year, 2.6% more than in 2021. They increased for most demographic groups. Experts have cited the possibility that rising economic and social pressures began weighing more heavily on Americans around the beginning of 2021. That's the same time government and financial supports that were implemented during the pandemic were stripped away. The Biden administration last month proposed new rules to improve insurance coverage for mental health conditions. Jeff Bellinger, 
Bloomberg Daybreak. Hollywood studios are preparing a new offer for striking writers. The most senior officials from eight studios are holding meetings alongside smaller committees of executives who are working to settle the dispute with writers and a separate strike by actors. The writers have been on strike since May. The Screen Actors Guild joined them in July. Tesla facing increased scrutiny after a fatal crash in Virginia involving one of the company's SUVs that collided with a tractor trailer. The July 19th collision is the 54th included in the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's probe of advanced driver assistance systems like Tesla's autopilot. And California regulators have voted in favor of robo-taxi operators expanding their paid driverless services in San Francisco. It's a major milestone toward commercializing the technology. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Amy. All right. Thank you, John. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Amy, it's a full weekend of NFL preseason with two games last night in New England. Houston gave the start to its top draft pick quarterback, C.J. Stroud. His first NFL pass was an interception. Texans did get TD passes from Davis Mills and Case Keenum. Mills's went to rookie wideout Tank Dell, who made a highlight real catch in the end zone. The Texans beat the Patriots 20-9. In Seattle, the Vikings led 10-0 early. Seahawks came back to win 24-13. A couple of TD passes for Seattle's backup quarterback, Drew Locke. There's a book out by Billy Walters. He's a well-known big-time gambler. And in it, he alleges that Phil Mickelson made bets totaling over a billion dollars had losses over $100 million, and that in 2012, Mickelson, while a member of the U.S. Ryder Cup team, tried to place a $400,000 bet on the U.S. to win. Walters refused to place it. The U.S. ended up losing by one point. Mickelson denies the story. Meanwhile... Playing the St. Jude Golf in Memphis, and Jordan Spieth shot 63. No bogeys, five birdies, and eagle on 16, and he's got a one-shot lead. Colin Morikawa trails by two. He's pledged $1,000 for every birdie to aid relief efforts in Maui. Baseball, the Orioles top the Astros 5-4. The Red Sox shut out the Royals 2-0. The Phillies with two three-run homers and a 6-2 win over the Nationals. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. A new tension point may be opening up in U.S.-China relations, and we may be seeing it now on the presidential campaign trail. President Biden was in Park City, Utah, meeting with a potential Democratic fundraisers last night. He had some sharp words for the Chinese economy and leadership. The president called the slowdown in the world's second biggest economy a, quote, ticking time bomb. And he said China is in trouble because when it comes to China's leaders, as the president put it, when bad folks have problems, they do bad things. Bloomberg's Tom McKenzie. 
Lindsay spent years covering China from Bloomberg's Beijing Bureau, so it's good to have him on with us this morning for some analysis on the president's words here. Of course, Tom, this is hardly the first time we've heard this president uh, throw elbows around when it comes to China. Where would you say these comments stack up in terms of what we've heard from President Biden in the past? You're right. It's not the first time, but it does leave some slightly scratching their heads as to what the policy emphasis needs to be from the Biden administration. Because, of course, on one front, they are sending some senior officials and have been doing that in terms, of course, of the Secretary of State, of course, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary as well, to China, to Beijing, to have those interactions with their Chinese colleagues, to try to, if not reset the relationship, then at least find some barriers to the tensions and some paths that they can walk down together, constructive areas of engagement. At the same time, you seem to continually get, almost on a monthly basis, the president himself kind of quote unquote bad mouthing China and in this context he described the economy as being like a ticking time bomb as you mentioned and uh, China's leaders as being bad folks previously he's called Xi Jinping a dictator he's also made comments about Taiwan that has confused and muddied the picture in terms of the US stance on that island and we know the hot spot that Taiwan proposes or is potentially uh, the centre of when it comes to these tensions so it's the disconnect between what we hear from the president and what we hear from the rest of the team and what it tells us about the strategy of the Biden administration vis-a-vis China. When it comes to that disconnect, Tom, what does the Chinese government pay more attention to? Is it the words or is it the actions that we're seeing from the U.S. government? When we look back at what President Biden said, characterizing Xi Jinping as a dictator, obviously that went back, that filtered back to China. They were asked about that, the foreign ministry. They kind of brushed it off. They continued to allow the visits of Janet Yellen to Beijing. We're expecting potentially uh, the head of trade, of course, over in the US to be over in Beijing as well in the next few weeks. Gina Raimondo to continue conversations on the trade front with her Chinese counterparts. So there is a potential scenario where Beijing continues to look past this, that they read into this, that this is red meat being thrown by Biden to the China hawks. He was, of course, at a fundraiser, that this is typical domestic politics at play where China becomes the whipping boy in the lead up to an election. So there will be some in Beijing who look at it through that prism. The risk, though, is that as this continues, and if it does continue, then it's going to lead to just continuing souring of those relations and just makes it that much more difficult to find those very small areas of compromise that the two sides might be looking for. And in the context of red meat here, we heard the president sort of overstate how things are going in terms of the Chinese economy, saying that the uh, growth has slowed down uh, quite a bit uh, more than it actually is, and that there are uh, not necessarily as many people of retirement age compared to working age. Uh, When it comes to that, uh, does that potentially undercut the message that the president's trying to send? Certainly, it's worth pointing out that he was factually inaccurate when he talked about the number of retirees versus the number of people in work, just got that dead wrong. And in terms of the economic forecasts, look, most economists think that China's economy is going to grow around 5% this year. President Biden said it was growing at around 2%. The official data suggests it's growing at a much higher level. There is, though, real scepticism about the validity of China's data. Nonetheless, you're right, he misstated and mischaracterized what's happening with the Chinese economy. The broader picture is, though, he's on point in terms of the fact that China is facing a number of major headwinds. A redhead crossing the Bloomberg terminal on new yuan loans in China. Now, 
what this means is basically far fewer people, households and corporates and businesses are taking up loans because of the business uncertainty, the uncertainty, the depth of crisis within that economy. You've got the real estate crisis back on the front pages again, at least of the financial news this week with Country Garden. And a reminder that that is a sector that accounts for about 20% of China's GDP. Huge problems in terms of real estate and property, huge problems in terms of deflation, the softness around China's exports and imports. And the president was right. He took me talked about unemployment. Youth unemployment at China is around 20% at a record level. And there is a huge demographic challenge as well. Far fewer people are having children, far fewer numbers coming into the workforce. That is an issue for Beijing and officials. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed by 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.